We're beginning a new series over this next month. We're going to be looking at specific topics that relate to the gospel of Jesus, to the good news of him. And over the next um, month or so, we're going to be specifically looking at this topic of salvation. Can you guys say salvation with me? Say it one more time like you mean it. Salvation. Oh, nice. Great. Um, Salvation is something in the Bible. It means to help someone. It means um, to help them in distress. It means to rescue. It means to deliver. It means to set free. Um, If you've been around a Christian church at all in your life, or maybe you've learned about Christianity, you know this term, to be saved is a term, (laughs) blessed, you know. Uh, is a term that's often used. It's a defining trait. It doesn't say you've been earned by God. It says you've been saved by God. Amen? That you have been saved by the Father himself. In fact, it's how we identify Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. That God is one who's defined as a God who saves. In fact, when you look at the God of the Bible throughout it, you see a God that reveals himself specifically by the way that he saves people. You see God saving Noah and his family through the flood. You see God saving a nation of Israel, delivering them from slavery. He saved them from slavery. And you see time and time again with the nation of Israel, when their enemies would encamp against them, that they would cry out to the Lord to be saved, and God would save them from their enemies. And ultimately what you see happening in the Bible is that it reaches this peak in human history where God shows his saving power to people and ultimately shows it in the manner of Jesus Christ coming to save everyone from his sins. In fact, the angel Gabriel, when he talked to Mary about you're going to give birth to the Savior, and he says, you are going to name him Jesus because he's going to save you. Everybody say save. He's going to save you from your sins. He doesn't say, name him Jesus because he's going to open a door for you guys to open or to earn your own faith into heaven and qualify yourselves into heaven. No, it says save. Saving grace is what it's called. So how does a God who saves us, what does it actually mean to be saved? How do you actually live in that? Is what we're going to dive into this morning and over the next four weeks together And what we're going to look at this morning, I want you guys to say Corinth with me. Corinth. We're looking at a specific city in the Bible where Paul, everybody say Paul. Paul is one of the early church leaders who went there and the Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way. It wasn't uncommon during that day. It's still something that happens very frequently today. A leader goes into a city and preaches the good news of Jesus. People everywhere are getting saved. They're receiving the forgiveness of God. They're coming to saving grace. They're becoming Christians. They're entering the kingdom of God. But one interesting thing about this city of Corinth was that it was pretty messy. Everybody say messy with me. Messy, you know. Messy in the sense of there was a lot going on in that city. And it was not a city that you wanted to be a pastor of. Amen. There was a lot of messy stuff that was going on. And when you read through this letter you see that the church itself was kind of messed up, to say the least. And so you see things like them getting drunk at communion. How many of you know that's not a good idea? Uh, probably in church, you know, not good, not good ever. You also see um, a man sleeping with his mother-in-law, and then the church group was boasting about it. That's definitely not a praise report in here, amen? Amen? That's definitely not good. 
It would also say that people were having disputes with one another over minuscule things so much that they were taking them to court in the eyes of the world. And so the world is sitting in court watching Christians sue each other. And the judge is like, wait, you guys are, are, don't you say that you love each other? Because it sure doesn't look like it by the way that you're acting. And so can I ask you guys a question? Would that be a fun church to be the pastor of? Probably not. It might be a little bit difficult. And so Paul has to go in, but even more so, just show them what the truth and what the kingdom of God is like. Because what happened was a lot of these people were coming out of such major sins, out of such deep bondage that they were saved, but they didn't know what kingdom living was like. They needed to be taught and raised in it. And so they were saved, but then they would go on continuing in their own lives and thinking it was a normal thing. And so we reach this point where Paul is actually correcting them. He's speaking truth. He's not going to lie to them. He's not going to be nice, but avoid the truth. The truth is the thing that can help them. And this is what he says to them. We're in the midst of this kind of point where he's correcting, he's revealing the truth, and he talks about salvation to them specifically. So I want you to look at chapter 6, verse 9 with me. This is what Paul writes to them. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. Can we say amen together to God's Word? Paul's telling them the truth that the way that they're living is not kingdom living. He says, don't you know that these are the very things that aren't going to be inherited in the kingdom of God? Make no mistake, this is not kingdom living. You guys are making mistakes like this. In fact, some call this a complete summary of the entire book of the sins that he addressed but I want you to notice something. He doesn't go, there are things that aren't going to be inherited in the kingdom of God. Now stop it. Now you guys need to change how the way you're acting because it's pretty inappropriate. You know what he says to them? He says, and that's what you were before Christ. But then you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. You were washed in the blood of Jesus. God took away your sin he took away your shame. It says you're sanctified, and that word sanctified means to be made holy. God made you holy in his sight. He made you like God. He made you without sin. He made you unique and set apart. Then it says you were justified. And if you don't know what that means, it says that God, like, has your back. So when the enemy, who is called the accuser in the Bible, comes to you and says, you're not good enough, you don't measure up, see these sins that you struggle with, see your current weaknesses, how is this going to work in the future? God says, no, I've already covered that. I've already covered him. I've already covered her in her weaknesses and her sin and her trespasses. God has justified you. Why don't you think about that for a minute? Because there were very real issues going on in Corinth. Amen? Amen? There are very real issues going on. And yet Paul doesn't go at their behavior and tells them, you need to change your behavior. He says, no, this is something a lot deeper going on in your heart. You think you're still those old things. That's why you're acting that way. He says, but when you were saved, God washed you. God saved you. You're looking at yourself 
in a way that Christ doesn't look at you right now. Christ sees you as washed, sanctified, and justified, and ultimately saved. It's a matter of identity and accepting that over yourself. I want you to say the word identity with me this morning. Identity is something we're going to talk about a little bit. And if you don't know what that is, identity at its core is who you are. All right? Maybe some of you guys know that. You've thought about that before. You have an identity. You have a belief about yourself. But you also, the hard thing to understand, and that's important to understand, is what shapes your identity? Because what scholars will say, even scientists will say, is that you have an identity, but you know it's influenced by your own beliefs about your identity. So what you believe about yourself, what you say about yourself, is ultimately going to be the thing that you're going to live out. And so some, you might believe something about yourself that's not true, but because you believe it about yourself, you're going to act according to it. Does that make sense? Amen? Anyone? So for example, you know, one of the things I'll just say as a pastor that's heartbreaking to me is, you want to know the most common thing that I hear from students when they're going through a difficult time or when they just begin to be raw about what's going on in their life is this, I hate myself. Isn't that interesting? I look at students that I know that, you know, seem to polish themselves. They act like, they laugh at stuff like that when they're in different settings. They act like, oh, you know what, this is, that's not me. They would even come across as polished, but when you get down to it, there are deep things within your heart and within your mind that you believe about yourself that can come to the surface. It doesn't necessarily need to be that. But we all have deep truths that we believe about ourselves, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. And because of those deep beliefs within us, they influence and they change the way we act. It's the way we value ourselves, and it ultimately leads to the things that we do around us. Corinth was going through an identity crisis, not a behavioral issue. What's your identity? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about God? I think it's interesting that belief is at the core of it because that's one of the things that makes Christianity what it is. In Romans 10.9, it says, if you believe or if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. When you believe in your heart, that's where salvation begins. And I want you to think about that because I think one of the reasons Christianity can be confusing, can you say confusing with me? How many of you know Christianity and following Jesus can be quite confusing sometimes, amen? No, it's not. No, I know everything about God. It's an invisible, sovereign God over the universe. Easy to figure out, amen? Like, God can be quite confusing to figure out sometimes. There are some things that we don't know. But I think when it comes to the idea of being saved and salvation and what that is, that this is something that you cannot skip over. In fact... Making mistakes about understanding salvation, not just when you're saved, but salvation throughout your lives, because salvation isn't just something that happens when you're saved. Salvation is something that you live in every day. Making mistakes about that can completely stunt and change your growth. So I want to put you guys in a situation right now. So imagine, I'm sorry it's Sunday, and I'm telling you to imagine about school heresy. I want you to imagine that you're in school, all right, it's Monday. You're walking through the hall, you're switching up classes, all right, and you're like looking for one of your friends that you normally go to class with, and all of a sudden you kind of look down the hall and you see something on the ground moving, 
And you're like, whoa, what's that? It's kind of big. And you realize that here comes down the hall, your friend is literally crawling across the floor. And they're like, hey, what's up? And they're just crawling by people on the ground. And first of all, ew, right? You know, how many of you know how gross the floors are in school, amen? Can I get an amen? I need a witness, all right? Now, just imagine they're crawling on the floor. They crawl to the cafeteria. They're just crawling through. They have their little tray to get their food, and they just carry it with them. They're like, they're on the soccer team, so they're crawling on the field. And you're like, you walk up, and you're like, you're embarrassing me, all right? You're like, what are you doing? And they go, oh, I, I never learned how to walk. And you're like, never learned how to walk. Everybody has learned how to walk. Yeah, well, I didn't, but... I can still be a human being. I can still be normal. I can still fit in. I mean, I'm still getting away with it. I'll see you later. And they crawl away, and you're like... Or they say, oh, yeah, I walked once. I walked when I was early. I did that. Now I'm on to bigger and better things. So they keep crawling. Would you think, just... Do you, don't you think that might be a little weird? A little weird? A little weird? Amen? So let me ask you something. When it comes to being saved and misunderstanding it, don't you think it stunts your growth in the same way? Don't you think that when you misunderstand what salvation is about, that ultimately it can change the whole trajectory of your faith? I, I want to invite Jesse and Dalen up. These guys are just going to be examples. Can we give it up for them? But I just want a visual example. There's about what salvation can and can't be like. Because most of the time, we see salvation happen in two different ways. And so I want to talk about just separate. I want a visual example. Don't worry, they're not really like this. They're pretty amazing leaders. And, um, but Dalen's going to pretend, and this is one of the things that we see with salvation often. Dalen's going to be someone who believes that he's not saved until he feels like he's behaving good enough. He would be an example of a person that if he died today, he thinks he's going to hell. Um, he's someone who believes that, you know what, I need to improve my behavior. I need, to, I need to do the right things. I'm struggling with certain sins in my life. I am struggling with certain people, and God must be upset with me. And so by the, I know what I'll do in order to be saved. I'm going to do the right things, and then I'm going to feel good enough about myself that I feel like I'm saved. But you know what happens over time to Dalen is that he doesn't... It doesn't happen. It never comes. He's flawed. He's a human being. And so what happens over time is that he begins to think, you know what, I'm never going to be good enough. And so then he believes that he'll never be saved because of his own behavior. He'll believe he's going to hell, and he'll either hate God or hate himself, or both after a while, and abandon God, abandon and not even believe in himself. That's what we've seen with a lot of students over time with that thinking. On the other side... Yeah, Jesse over here, and Jesse's going to represent someone who was saved one time in his life. He accepted the free gift of salvation from the Lord. He was forgiven, and he turned to the Lord. Ah, amen? All right? But after that, he goes, all right, God gave me a second chance. I'm going to take full advantage of this, and I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to show God that I really changed. But he keeps struggling. He's flawed. And so now he thinks he's disappointed God even more because he's asked for forgiveness and he's asked for salvation. And now that guilt just builds up because 
Yes, he's saved, but he's trying to do it on his own. He's still trying to prove himself to God, even though he was saved. And so on both ends of the spectrum, before salvation, if you try to prove yourself and think that's how you're going to be saved, you'll never measure up. Likewise, you could be saved, but if you're trying to measure up in your own eyes without the help of God, without the salvation of God living in that each day, you will end up equally as guilty and broken and jaded against God and, and yourself. You guys can go ahead and sit down. Thank you. Um, but this is what I think God wants for us, is that you would come to the Lord. I want you guys to say with me that you would come to the Lord, that you would accept Jesus right out of the gates and say, Lord, I need you right now. I need to be forgiven. And from there, not only accept that forgiveness, but live out every day of his grace, waking up and saying, Lord, I need you to forgive me today. Lord, I need you to cover me today, every day. There isn't a day where you're not going to need God's grace over your life. And so to try to live without it is trying to prove yourself without Jesus at all. And that's the whole reason that he came in the first place. Being saved by God starts with belief and not your behavior. I want to say that one more time, and I want you guys to listen up. Being saved by God it's, a, it's all about belief. It's not about behavior. Belief is defined as faith, trust, and loyalty to a person or a thing. In fact, the word for belief in the Bible is actually interchangeable with faith. So when it says, have faith in God, it's like saying, believe in God. And that word is used over 300 times in the New Testament. It's an important thing that Jesus proclaims across, that to believe, everybody say believe, that to believe is the key to being saved and the key to real change in our own lives. How many of you know that God does have kingdom living called for us? God does call us to greater things than this world. God calls us to live fully for him. But God's not going to force it upon you and say, do this, do that, do this, do that, and think that's what's going to change someone because it's addressing all the external things, but it's not addressing the heart. So let me ask you a question. What if God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that we couldn't change by him coming down and saying, you need to do this and do that, do this and do that? What if God knew that the only way to change us was to come to us and say, I need you to just accept how much I love you. I need you to just accept that I have purpose for you and that I'm never going to leave you so that you can always trust in me and you can have confidence in me no matter what the Lord asks of you. What if God knew that in his full knowledge? In fact, it's interesting because when you look at salvation, God is a God who works from the inside out, not the outside in. God isn't someone who just tries to change your behavior and hope it changes your heart. But God is someone who goes straight for the way that you look at yourself. How do you look at yourself? What are the things that you believe about yourself this morning? Because that's where God's going for with salvation. In fact, if you look at science and a lot of studies that have been done against behavior, against um, beliefs, there's a correlation that's found between what you believe about yourself and the behavior that you live out. And so maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm trying to change all these behaviors. And so you're trying to do all these external things, but nothing's changing. But maybe you need to look at what's, what's the belief behind that. What do you believe about yourself? In fact, Farrakh Radwan, who's a scientist who's written a, a number of books about just how the human mind works. He talks about different things of how people can be manipulated just by the very ways that they think. 
he puts this list together of how belief can affect your behaviors that I want to just put up. This is a scientific experiment. The first one is this. He would, he would say that your beliefs are like nuclear when it comes to the way that you act. It's so powerful in affecting how you work. One of them is that it limits and it expands people's potential. And so you'll literally limit yourself or you'll allow yourself to be able to do things. For example, you want to lose 10 pounds, all right? Christmas season was rough on you, amen? So you say, I don't think I could lose 10 pounds. Do you think you're going to put in the work necessary? Even if you could do it, if you don't believe that you could do it. So it's there, you can do it, but you won't because you don't believe you can do it. Now think about this. God loves you and wants to forgive you. Well, I'm unlovable. God couldn't forgive me. It's there for the taking. It's there to accept over you, but you won't take it because you don't believe there's potential for that right there. Another one that's really interesting is information filtering. Have you ever noticed that you listen to certain people or certain things better than other people? Amen? It's a natural human tendency because what we believe is how we filter information. That's why some people in our lives, when they speak, you'll listen and you'll say, yes, yes, like keep speaking. Wow, that's so good. And there are other people that you just will not listen to because of the context, where they are, and that's because of information filtering. You have made a belief about that person or that place or whatever they're talking about before they've even spoken and you've given it a value. Another one I think is really interesting is it shapes reality. So let me ask you something. Do you think if I went to every person in this room individually and said, what is life about, that you would all give me the same answer? Probably not. In fact, absolutely not, because everyone thinks life is something different based on their own experiences and their own reality by what they believe in. There are some people that would say life is terrible. This world is terrible. There's no way that God is in this world because of what's going on. There are other people that say, well, God is in this world and he loves them and his love is bigger than the things that are happening. And the last one that I think is most interesting is self-confidence. Did you know that your beliefs about yourself can affect your self-confidence? That when you believe in God, when you believe in something, that it can affect how you perceive yourself. There was a study done on two groups of people. One who believed that they could do certain things, that they could do things beyond their own ability, versus people who were limited. They thought, nah, I can only do this much. And what they found was the circumstances were the same, but they found the people who believed were way happier than the other group because... They believed in themselves. They saw things get done when they applied their commitment. They applied themselves to it. They said, hey, I believed I could do this, and it happened. All right, maybe I really can, and it built their self-confidence. Versus people who said, no, nah, I can't do this. And out of insecurity, whatever it may be, belief, they don't even try. And so what does that all have to say is that when it comes back to God and you say, God can't do this work in me. God can't heal me of this addiction that I'm working through. God can't fix my family. God can't save me. You know what those all are? Beliefs. Those are all beliefs that God goes after, and it changes the way that you interact with God and the people around you as well. Isaiah thirty nineteen talks about a God who wants to save us. In fact, he would say the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Can you say longs? Can we say it like we mean it? Longs. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Did you know that God isn't forced to save us? 
It doesn't say the Lord has to be gracious to you. Amen? It says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Did you know that God wants to forgive you? Did you know that God wants to, you to know that you're completely pure? That God wants you to know that he has a purpose for your life? Today, if you asked for it right now, no matter what is happening in your life, did you know that? Not just them, you. God wants that for you right now. Not just for other people, but for you ultimately. And it's a matter of belief ultimately. And maybe you're in here and you're someone who's been saved before, but, or you've been to church, but you've never been saved. I think it's really interesting because last, a couple weeks ago, we asked this question in the response time. If you knew, if you believed you were fully forgiven, how would that change your life? And we asked that in junior high and high school, but it was fascinating to hear the answers that people said. They said, well, I would live more free. Well, I would be happier if I knew I was fully forgiven. In fact, a junior higher said this, and now hear me out on this. He said, well, if I knew I was fully forgiven and loved by God, I'd be way more open about my struggles and my sin because I knew I wouldn't be condemned by him. Right? Isn't that exactly what God wants for you? What if God, knowing that we needed help, wanted to forgive you and say, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear going to hell. I love you and I've saved you and I want to save you so I can get into your life. I can share life with you and go after those messy areas that you refuse to give to me because you think by exposing them you're going to go to hell. Fear becomes a dictator of our relationship, and fear of hell is not the way that God wants us to relate. He wants us to relate to him by perfect love. The word says that there's no fear in perfect love, but perfect love drives out fear. That when you grow in your understanding of how much God loves you and you allow it over your heart, it's like this fear inside of you, fear, an unhealthy fear of God, or maybe yourself just gets driven out of you. And it's replaced by love. And it's that love that becomes a greater motivator to follow the kingdom of God because God loves you and you're in relationship with him. When I coached at CCU, it's interesting because we had a team of about, I coached the men's and the women's team, and we had about seven to eight people on each team. And when you coach someone, you coach every person differently. It's the same thing with parenting. How many of you are like, mom, dad, why do you treat my brother differently than me? You're so nice on him and stuff like that. It's because everybody's different. So if you're spoiled, good for you. So, all right. But I remember there was this one player on the team, and she had a real, she was a great player, really talented college player, but had a confidence problem. That's what we call a head case in the tennis world. She, she had this, she was, would lose to players that were substantially worse than her because she would get in her own head, she would get nervous, she would get fearful, she would get um, subconscious about what people were thinking about her, worried about the people watching her matches, and so she kept losing. And our coaching staff decided, we walked up to her and we said, hey, you know that we're a team, right? And we're not going to cut you. She actually had a fear that she was going to be cut or benched on the team. And so it affected the way that she played. And so we told her, we're like, you're one of our own. You're on our team. You're, you're our player. We need you to show up in this match. And we have your back even when you lose. And she accepted that. But it was something, as the season went on, she struggled to believe in that. And eventually it didn't end well. She ended up losing a lot of matches in a row, ultimately because 
No matter how many times people told her, she didn't believe it herself. And no matter how many times we could go up and say, hey, you're a part of this team, how many times players could encourage her, ultimately, it's about what you believe and what you accept in your heart. Don't be driven by fear. That's your decision to make. Salvation is no one else's decision but your own. I'm going to invite Cassandra up, and she's going to guide us in a couple questions. But I just want you guys to think about salvation for a minute. And I want you to think about this. Maybe you're in here, and you've come to church, or maybe you have grown up in a Christian home, but you've never been saved. You've never been born again. And this is what it looks like, that God would wash you, God would sanctify you, God would justify you through what his son Jesus did. Or maybe you're in here, and you're like that person that's crawling on the ground. I hope not really, but I hope you're, you know, maybe you're like that person where in your faith, it's literally like you're crawling across the ground. Or maybe you're just living in fear because you're like, yeah, I've been saved, but I'm going to hell. That's what you think about yourself because you're living in such fear. Maybe you were like Dalen when he came up here. Stay with me, guys. Maybe you were like Dalen when you were up here where you're like, I, I'm doing the right things, but I don't believe I'm fully saved. And maybe you're like Jesse. Maybe you've been saved and you've been trying to do it on your own. I want you guys to think about that.